Louisville, Kentucky has passed Brianna's law banning the use of no-knock warrants. The Bachelor has finally cast its first black lead. And BuzzFeed News politics reporter Ryan Brooks joins us to break down the defund versus abolish police debate. The date, June 12th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hi, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. It is Friday. It is fucking Friday, Casey. I am so excited. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do with this Friday, but it's here. (laughs) Am I going to doom scroll on my phone? Maybe. But you know what? I have the luxury of doing so without recording this podcast afterwards. I love everyone out there, but I'm going to keep those doom scrolls to myself and you'll learn all about it on Monday. Let's get the show in motion. It's time for the TLDR, the most important headlines for the day brought to the top of your feed. Here are three things you need to know today. One, Louisville will no longer allow police to obtain no-knock warrants after one was used in the killing of 27-year-old Brianna Taylor earlier this year. Taylor was shot in her bed after police entered the apartment she shared with her boyfriend using a battering ram. The new law, which was passed by the Louisville Metro Council yesterday, is known as Brianna's Law. And with this change, local police are now required to wait 15 seconds or, quote, a reasonable amount of time for occupants to respond before entering a building with a search warrant. Senator Rand Paul, noted libertarian, also introduced national legislation that would ban no-knock warrants yesterday. It is worth noting, though, that even though the law has changed, the three police officers who were at Brianna's apartment the night they killed her have yet to be arrested. Two, the president has threatened to use force to end a, quote, takeover in Seattle. The last few days in Seattle have been pretty wild as a neighborhood called Capitol Hill has become a 24-7 protest area. Seattle's police force was banned from using tear gas against protesters last week, a decision that police quickly ignored. In response, demonstrators took over a six-block area around the Seattle Police East Precinct, renaming it the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or as they're calling it, CHAZ. Seattle's mayor and Washington's governor are trying to figure out what to do with the protesters, but in the meantime, the protesters have hosted movies, held marches, and moderated community forums. But then the president decided to weigh in, using Seattle as an example of the lawlessness he says is threatening America. He tweeted yesterday, quote, Take back your city now. If you don't do it, I will. This is not a game. These ugly anarchists must be stopped immediately. Move fast. End quote. For their part, the Seattle mayor told Trump to go back to his bunker, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee told him to stay out of the state's business. And three, here's a bit of a throwback for Impeachment Today listeners. Remember former National Security Advisor John Bolton? Well, his new book is finally coming out later this month, and the press release, which promised to tell us all the things we wish we knew then, made me scream, this fucking guy in my apartment. Quick recap. Bolton was national security advisor last year during the whole scandal about Ukraine that got Trump impeached. The House asked him to come testify about what he knew, but he said no thank you. Bolton was poised to be a key witness to the impeachment trial in the Senate if he was subpoenaed. But Republicans, save Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, voted against witnesses being called at all. So Bolton just opted to keep his mouth shut. Now, He has a tell-all book coming out, and in the release for today, he said, quote, I am hard-pressed to identify any significant Trump decision during my tenure that wasn't driven by re-election calculations, end quote, including the Ukraine thing. 
he seemed to say. He adds that the House committed, quote, impeachment malpractice for only charging Trump over the Ukraine affair. If only there were someone who could have told them that at the time. I know that there are more important and crazy things to talk about in everything you just said, but your John Bolton impression is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It's spot on. 100% accurate. I could go to the State Department with that and no one would know the difference. Just hide behind a mop, pretending to be his mustache, and I can walk into any room. I'd believe it. Uh, I'm so irate about this, Casey. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear more about it always. I love when you're irate. It's hilarious. So, oh, oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Do you want to talk more about it? (laughs) No, no. Continue. Okay. Okay. All right. It's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most it's about time and most boo this dog stories from around the internet. Okay, good news. ABC has finally named its first black lead on The Bachelor. His name is Matt James. And if you don't know who Matt James is, you are not alone because almost no one knows who Matt James is because he's never been in The Bachelor franchise before. But we're rolling with it. Anyways, Matt was initially supposed to be a contestant on Claire Crawley's Bachelorette season, which was postponed due to coronavirus. And then this morning, he was finally named as the lead for the show's 25th season, which I don't think people saw coming because uh, Claire Crawley's season has not aired. It hasn't even started production. Um, And this decision is long overdue. It comes after a push for more diversity from previous stars and fans, including an anti-racism petition, which has been signed over 86,000 times at the time of this recording. Last weekend, Rachel Lindsay, who was the first Black Bachelorette, even said she would cut ties with ABC if a Black Bachelor was not cast. This season, starring Matt James, is set to premiere next year in 2021, and uh, I'm excited, Hayes. I I I can tell you're excited. (laughs) For as irate as I was in the last bit, you are like double that in terms of excitement about this. No, Hayes, I am super excited about this. I was not expecting Matt James to be cast as The Bachelor that they're announcing this even before Claire Crawley's season has been produced or filmed or anything. And it's also a little interesting because fans were wanting Mike Johnson from Hannah B's season to be The Bachelor, um, who is also Black. And it it's a little surprising that he's not the person. Instead, we're going with Matt James, who no one knows except for being cast in Claire Crawley's season. And now just to throw even more of a web on you right now, people might know Matt a little bit because he has been in Tyler C's TikToks during quarantine. Tyler C was on was also on Hannah B's season, and then he was dating Gigi Hadid. (laughs) They are no longer together, but everyone loves Tyler C. And Matt James has been in these TikToks with Hannah B, which to pull it back to even to a discussion we had on a previous podcast was Hannah B had to apologize for saying the N-word in one of those TikToks, which Rachel Lindsay called her out for. (laughs) So everyone is connected in this web. Matt James is going to be our new Bachelor. And it's interesting because Rachel doesn't seem like she's a fan really on board she she said quote matt james we don't even know you the only reason people are into matt james is because people are into tyler (laughs) i so not gonna lie of the many names you just said i knew Gigi hadid but (laughs) i am going to dig into this after we're done recording because holy cow i knew that 
it was like a huge convoluted like franchisee web that rivals like the Star Wars extended universe at its peak. But I did not expect it all to be coming crashing together in this like upcoming season. It does. And by you just saying the word franchise, I just quickly want to say that what's interesting about Matt James is that he's not a part of the franchise. Like he just started. We don't know him. And usually The Bachelor and Bachelorette are picked from previous seasons where they already have a massive fan base. So I just want to know, like going in, in case the ratings aren't as good for Matt James, I hope ABC is taking into consideration the fact that they pulled him from out of nowhere. And so it's just a little interesting that we don't have a fan base already. But I mean, I'm on the Matt James train. I'm, I'm there. I'm ready to go. No, I'm with you. Like now that you point that out, I'm, I really hope ABC doesn't say, well, turns out people don't want to watch a Black Batch. They're never doing that again. Bye. Right. Exactly. On to the bad news. And it's mostly just bad news for the citizens of Adventure Bay. The internet is fed up with the Paw Patrol. Okay, this is kind of a joke, but kind of not. Our producer, Alan, who has a young child, has informed us that Paw Patrol is a show where small dogs take on various mishaps that local government agencies probably should be handling. One of the characters on the show is Chase, a German shepherd slash police dog, and he's the main target of the half-kidding outrage online. It all started after Paw Patrol's official Twitter account posted one of those generic solidarity posts, and there's read that they were pausing on tweeting to allow Black voices to be heard. Twitter users then responded with comments like, defund the Paw Patrol, and all dogs go to heaven except the class traitors in the Paw Patrol. And this is all part of a larger movement that's questioning the depiction of quote-unquote good cops in television and film as protests against police brutality continue. But also, by the way, there's actually no official talk that Paw Patrol is getting canceled. So if you have a toddler, I'm sorry, the missions will continue. This is the funniest shit to me. I... I think this is goddamn hilarious, especially because I love when shit that is like a joke that is clearly a joke gets picked up as though it's real outrage, including by, in this case, Eric Trump and Ted Cruz. They're both big mad that the Paw Patrol might lose their fictional jobs over this. (laughs) Which is outrageous. There are so many more things they could be focusing on right now. Nope, there's nothing. There's nothing more important than Ted Cruz (laughs) tweeting out the absurdity knows no end about the (laughs) social justice mob coming for the fine, fine upstanding dogs of Adventure Bay. (laughs) When we come back, we're talking to BuzzFeed politics reporter Ryan Brooks about the defund versus abolish police debate. Sit tight. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. 
We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm excited to be back with a new season of You and Me Both. You know, when we started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. But I am a firm believer we're stronger together. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. Listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. With nationwide protests against police brutality, it's clear that a lot of people agree things just have to change when it comes to policing. But the conversation has sparked a debate about how to best move forward. Protesters are calling for either defunding or abolishing police departments. But what do those different proposals really mean? To help us parse through the dialogue on all sides of this issue, we're joined by BuzzFeed News politics reporter Ryan Brooks. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Good. So, Ryan, help us out here. Just for starters, is there a difference between saying defund the police and abolish the police? Yeah, absolutely. Um, For people on the ground, there's like a lot that's going on between those two definitions. Um, So for abolitionists, these are the people that have said like police departments are inherently racist and, and they have this this characteristic of over-policing black communities. And, and when they go into these black communities, they have a higher chance of, of having an interaction with a black person or a person of color where those end up in death. And they want to see those abolished, those systems abolished and, and, and to sort of like move towards a community aspect of policing. Um, and I think that's the same thing uh, with defunding the police. They want to take some funding away um, from those to police departments and, and to put those into places like where, uh, so let's say someone's having a psychological issue, they would send, uh, someone in to speak with that person who has like actual credentials in the psychological field to actually like deescalate the situation. I mean, there are two radical ends of the same system that wants to see policing decrease the effects that it has now in communities like where things aren't safe. So just to, I guess, sort of sum that up, basically, you're basically saying that uh, all of them want to take money away from the police. Just how much money? Is there a police department left after you take some of those funds away? Yeah, absolutely. So that being the case, a lot of our listeners by now may have seen a pair of competing infographics online. One tagged eight can't wait with a list of police reforms and the other, which looks very similar, is called eight to abolish. What's going on here with those two? Yeah. So this is something that's been really interesting to me over the past week or so um, as these protests have like taken off. 
so the eight can't wait is from an organization that has ties to D Ray McKesson, who became a popular figure in, in sort of like this black lives matter movement after the 2014 Ferguson uprising. And it's sort of like these eight points to reduce, uh, violence and to reduce the killings, uh, in police interactions. And so they focused on uh, banning chokeholds, uh, which some local governments have already taken up. Um, New York just reaffirmed uh, the Eric Garner uh, situation there, even though that was already on the books um, for since 1993, I believe. And then they have a few other situations on there, like uh, sort of talking about how you can escalate force, uh, whether you can uh, like pull out a weapon, you have to announce that you're pulling out a weapon. Um, the eight to abolish plan is, it seems it's more, it's closer to the people that are actually on the ground in Minnesota and the pe- activists that are on the ground now. Um, and those are the people that are talking about defunding the police and, and abolishing the police and how we can move into this system where we don't have to have an eight can't wait plan to like talk about like how you can pull out a weapon and, and use those in any situation possible. We're already seeing a divide online where some on the left are saying that the term defund has been co-opted by moderates who want to water it down. Is that a fair criticism? Yeah, I think it is. Um, we're actually like seeing that conversation like play out now. I mean, Joe Biden, who's the, the presidential nominee for the Democratic Party, has already come out and said that he's against defunding the police. Uh, Representative Jim Clyburn has said that he's against defunding the police. Tulsi Gabbard has said that she's against defunding the police in like recent days. So, I mean, like, it's in movement politics, there's no like specific leader to like say, like, this is what we're behind. And so, like, all of these people have like these different definitions of the same term. Um, and that lets people latch on to a term that they have like found a definition for like online, let's say. And so they can say like, Hey, I'm not for this, but like the people over here on the other side of this issue are saying like, that's not actually what that means. And so it's being watered down and, and sort of like, let's just say this. It's like, that's how politics works. Like establishment politics, like the radical policies are always going to be picked up by establishment politicians and like watered down. So it's like acceptable. So, I mean, I think that's a conversation about like how internet culture works and how politics works now too. I completely agree about that. I I feel like it's hard when there is no one person who you can turn to and be like, okay, so tell me please what defund the police means right now. Like, do you see someone like that stepping up at any point? Like, is there someone you can see who could put out uh, a definition that people would rally behind or is that sort of beside the point? I think like movement politics benefits from not having like a leader per se, like this new style of movement politics. Like, I mean, back in the 1960s, like we saw like Martin Luther King and and other people become like the figureheads of like this movement. But I think now that we all have like access to information, like we have that opportunity to like be leaders in so many different places. And that's talking about people and like these organizations, I think, what people are going to turn towards now is looking at Minneapolis and how they like enact this since their city council has voted to sort of like look at taking some funds away from the police or disbanding their police department. So I think that's going to be like a tangible thing that people look towards. So it seems like it'll be a bit of an uphill climb, whether you support defunding as a goal by itself or as a step towards abolition. As you mentioned, we're seeing several prominent Democrats like Joe Biden and Representative Jim Clyburn saying they're against it. Do you think that they will eventually be won over? And if so, will that satisfy the people out protesting now? 
Um, I think from the reporting that I've done, like Joe Biden has a lot to reckon with, like on his own from like past uh, policies that he's put in place. So like the activists that I've talked to, the strategists that I've talked to from the party who are like younger black people have said like he needs to reckon with like how the 1994 crime bill of like instituted over policing in neighborhoods before you can even have a conversation about like coming out immediately and saying like defunding the police is wrong. Um, and I mean, like in his plans now, he already has measures in there to like, to, for more like funds for policing, um, community policing. Um, there's already some pushback like within like the democratic establishment. Uh, so I've talked to Bakari Sellers, who is a former representative, uh, down in South Carolina. And he pushed back on Jim Clyburn's stance on, uh, defunding the police, which is, he said that he's not for it at all. And, and Bakari Sellers, called me up the other day and said the people that were at the heads of these movements in the 1960s should have open minds to the things that younger people right now are doing. So I think there's definitely going to be a conversation and pushback between this generational split within the party itself. Well, Ryan, we look forward to reading more of your reporting on this. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, before you go enjoy your weekend, it's time for Meanwhile on the Internet. Today, we have a great bit of history that's been unearthed, a David Bowie interview with MTV back in 1983. I feel like finding a hidden David Bowie interview is like finding ice cream you forgot about in the back of the freezer. Does does that make sense to you? It absolutely makes sense to me, Casey, with the benefit that David Bowie, in this case, does not have freezer burn on it. It is fresh and delicious as ever. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Like the best ice cream you've ever tasted. (laughs) Mood age daydream of ice cream. (laughs) Anyway, this video, it first made the rounds when Bowie sadly passed away in 2016, but it is pretty damn fitting right now. MTV had only been on the air for a couple of years when he did this interview with VJ Mark Goodman, and he had some pretty spot on observations about how little black music the channel seemed to be playing. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so many, so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. There's the, the company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. That's evident. Um, it's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, in, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. After some back and forth, the VG explains just why playing too much black music might be a problem. Of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie or... Midwest, pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing, or a string of other black faces. That's and black very music. interesting. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> wow, well, fuck that guy. Amen. Bowie goes on to read him to filth for his dance, saying how maybe the black kids might want to see some black music performers on their television screens. No shit. Man, I miss David Bowie. Oh, this is such a good interview to find. Right. Like, I feel like I'd seen parts of this interview before where he was talking about, like, the future of how music would be shared. And people said, oh, that's so prescient. But this shit right here is just I'm so glad that he was there and speaking up these issues then. I'm so glad that 
Thriller came out that same year to like blow everyone out of the water. So suddenly MTV had to be like, maybe this black music might be profitable. Hmm. Oh, I love capitalism. <laughs> Give us those dollars, white children, now that you're rocking those hips to Michael Jackson. Uh, those cowards. I'm Bless Bowie. May his memory and his stance against racism live on forever. That's it for today. Join us on Monday when we talk about how the real economic crash is currently scheduled for August. Try not to think too much about it before then. And remember, fuck racism, listen to black music. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bauza, Hiba Elarbani, and Alan Haverchak. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangesha Tikader, Samantha Hinnick, Patrick McMiniman, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Funky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't.